So I guess we should talk about this book at some point, huh? Yeah, I did make one. Yeah. I made a book. <laughs> a book. There's more than one book. That's true, yeah. I okay. made one that's relevant at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> it is quite relevant, actually. When the choice seems to be to tear down the church or build a wall around it, we aim to walk the narrow road of nuance through the wilderness between the warring factions and try to figure out what it means to love God and people well. well. Hello again. So we are really excited to have a returning guest on this episode, Josh Porter, formerly of the band Showbread, currently of the band The Bell Jar, author, theologian, pastor, provocateur, if I dare use that word. He's all these things and more, and just an all-around great fellow that uh, Ryan and I very much appreciate his perspective and his wisdom and his insight and just his kind of creative voice, both as a teacher and as an artist. And we were really excited to get to talk to him again because he has a new book out called Death to Deconstruction, which is a nice provocative title that we ask him about a little bit in this episode. What I will say by way of a teaser is that it's not necessarily what you might think and that far from trying to kind of throw down the gauntlet only to folks who may be deconstructing their faith. He also provides a lot of practical pastoral wisdom for going through the process and how we should think about it and approach it and all that stuff. It's a great conversation. Let's jump in. Okay, should, should we give this a proper intro or should this be absolutely ridiculous? That's the question facing you know, this gentleman. I could just go with it. Okay, okay, we'll just go with it. <laughs> We're joined today by Joshua Stephen Porter, author, musician, pastor, theologian, all-around good dude, or so I've heard. Yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah. I'll take how's, it. How's that for an intro? Hey, Great. I like it. Okay. I'm adding it to, that's going to be the, you know, the back of the book bio. <laughs> all-around, all-around good dude. All-around good dude. Um, well, I, hey, thank you for visiting us again in, in podcast land where we currently live. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you guys for having me. I had fun talking to you guys last time. Absolutely. That's the that's ideal, good. you know? Yes. We could do this and it not be fun. <laughs> that's what we I, aim I, for. Listen, I've had some of those, if I'm honest, like interviews where it's like, you know, that was fine while it was happening, but not oh, necessarily too, on, this, on this show. But I know all about it. Yeah. Um, is it So obviously you've done press for any number of things over over the years and uh, <laughs> uh with, without naming any outlets do you, are, are there any that stick out in your mind good and bad yeah you know if i tried to name names i would be unsuccessful hmm. and not because oh i'm so important that i've done so many interviews but any any number of interviews once you you know exceed two for for a given thing that you're quote unquote promoting. Yep. Uh they start to run together. Yeah, you, you end up talking about a lot of the same things, which which is actually fine with me. I don't tire of these conversations as much as I've heard some of my peers like, oh my God, I can't stand, you know, doing an interview for an album or a book or some kind of thing. They're usually unique enough and I uh tend to blather on at such a stupid rate that <laughs> I feel like it, it's different every every time. I never yep. know exactly what's gonna happen. <laughs> Um, this by really far is going to be the best one, of course. I so. have every right. expectation. Yeah, it, it, you know, it, as long as there's some level of, I don't even care as much about quote unquote journalists or podcasters like doing homework and having really interesting, thoughtful things to ask me. 
as much as the entire thing being conversation conversational mm-hmm. to some yep. interesting degree. Um, you know, sometimes I feel as if I've talked to people who, and who can blame them? They're having to interview me, and they're probably like, "Who's this guy?" So that it's a little bit like, you know, I have to do this before I go home from work today. Yeah. So here's a list of questions I was told to ask you, and that's not fun for anybody. Yeah. Might as well shake things up and. <laughs> You know, ask so, something weird, make it interesting for you at least. Well, you know, I was going to ask you. You, uh, Showbread in particular, came in for a bit of a reputation over the years of, of um, shaking things up themselves in interviews. And do you uh, do you feel the need to do that at, the, at this point in your life? No, because I think the reason that started was one because it often became, if not a, a group assignment at least like a duo people because my friend Ivory and I were the singers in showbread people. The default thing was to interview the front man or men or women, mm-hmm. you know, you, you assume that whoever is uh forefront on stage leads the band to some degree. So yeah. uh, the expectation was often that Ivory and I would give interviews together. I don't mind giving the interviews but he hated them he just felt as if what do i have to say and i don't really care he's extremely uh uninterested in celebrity or ego or anything like that yeah so when he and i would be together this is the guy that has been my you know long oldest friend since first grade um i think we would often try to make each other laugh uh and it it turned into a you know, if you can say something that's truly ridiculous that will make the guy beside you laugh, um, it almost like a, a dare mentality. Yes. And we did that one time, and uh, this was, you know, circa 2004 or something like that, so it's a, a different era of um, inter- the internet. Uh, but that became one of the more notorious showbread artifacts on the internet, just a video of me and Ivory saying ridiculous things. And so there became this expectation when uh, anyone that would interview us would interview us that, oh, they're going to be so bananas. And uh, I I think maybe we also felt as if we have to continue to push the envelope of what happens in an interview. And sometimes it happened really organically and other times it felt a little contrived. Like, do the thing! Yeah, do the thing, do the trick. Here we go, we put a microphone in front of you. Be funny! Uh, but that that made it, that also made it fun. And then when someone would interview just me, it would be like, oh, wow, this guy's trying to sound so intellectual. And it's like, well, I don't have anyone. Who am I, who am I trying to entertain anymore? <laughs> yes, I could talk to myself, but that's just going to seem even weirder. <laughs> well, we won't put those expectations on you, or we'll try not to. We, You'll be disappointed. You know? Oh, uh, yeah. You can, sure. you can do it. You'll just be disappointed. I planned on being disappointed today, honestly. It's a great way wow. to live. <laughs> that's, that's not strictly true. Then you're no, just but... so thrilled with everything good that happens. That's right. right. Set the yeah. bar low. Yeah, baseline pessimism <laughs> sets you up for just a, a world of happy surprises. <laughs> Some might call that nihilism, Josh. Or having your expectations met, you know? Yes. Well, I, in all seriousness, though, we, we very much were, we're looking forward to talking to you again mm-hmm. and are grateful for the time you're spending with us and glad that we can laugh and joke while we're doing a thing that is also meaningful. So f- yeah, thanks, likewise. thanks for playing ball. So uh, you've written a number of books over the years, some 
some serious and some less so, and some uh, fiction and some not. Or is this your first nonfiction book? No, I, I guess th- there was the memoir, wasn't there? Yes, I wrote a like a band memoir a very long time ago. But this, is, I, yeah, this is my first um, more focused effort uh, in the world of nonfiction. So the the name of the book is Death to Deconstruction, which is a throwdown of a title in our day and age. Yeah, and it, it got me thinking about the fact that um, in in much of your work or, or work that you've contributed to that the surprising or even antagonizing the audience is uh, is a way to get people's attention or to, sh- to shock them out of kind of what I guess their their normal mode of, of processing things so mm-hmm. but I, I guess also now I've not read the book yet because it, it hasn't shipped <laughs> it's supposed to be here uh, I think tomorrow or the day after but um, I, I guess who who are you hoping to reach with this book one and then two what why did you land on a title like that well the title is one of the first things that came to me and that doesn't always happen I wrote like a I, I I had the idea to write a book on the topic of um, people who were once Christians that deconstructed their faith and are no longer Christians. The phenomenon of cultural kind of, especially in the West, or I should say almost entirely in America, the phenomenon of millennial, um, I was a Christian, I'm not anymore. Here's my big breakup with God thing. And the title came to me first, and then I scribbled together an outline. And then... Um, the title became contended in the earliest stages before the book was <laughs> even written proper before there was a manuscript and it was just an outline that was being, you know, taken to different publishers. There was a lot of, are you open to changing the title? Um, and I think that one, because it is really confrontational, they're like, Oh, you know, you, you don't want to alienate readers before they even open the book or a sensitivity. And, and in some cases, you know, a valid sensitivity, and in the other cases, the concern was that the term deconstruction has so many different meanings. Mm-hmm. Um, and my argument was, well, yes, obviously, it can mean a lot of different things uh, in a lot of different contexts. But in where we are now, this might not be the case a few years from now, or who knows, but where we are now in America, the word deconstruction has become kind of a shorthand, at least in kind of the pop culture, spiritual spirituality conversation mm-hmm. for the phenomenon of, I was raised usually evangelical. I had all these issues with it. I deconstructed my faith and now I am not, um, you know, what we would call like an historic or orthodox follower of Jesus. So I kept arguing with these different publishers before the book even had a manuscript. I was like, no, the, the title's really important. It's going, you know, it, I, I feel as if approaching it confrontationally will be the, the only thing I have to offer to the con- conversation. And up until, uh, you know, like a week before the book went to print or something like that, they were still like, oh, do we have to do deconstruct? Can we change it to something else? Or what if it was this or that? And I, that was one of the things I continued to r- really fight for and not because Mm. you know taylor you mentioned that um i've done a lot of things that seem combative or seem confrontational uh and there's a couple reasons for that i think maybe some people think it's like i'm just trying to be a butthole that's not it uh i i find confrontational art more interesting Mm -hmm. and by default 
I just make the thing that I would like to read or the thing yeah, that I would like yeah, to totally. listen to. Um, and it's not, you know, it sounds really self-centric, but the way I approach any creative project is like, if I wanted to emulate this or that, that this or that thing is already over there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can borrow from it or be influenced or inspired by it. But I would like, I want to make the thing that I wish existed. You know, yeah. that, that's often how I come to a project. It's like, Oh, I wish that there was this song or this, you know, <laughs> book or this story. I relate to um, that very strongly. And, and yeah. I think, I think, you know, this, but my, my dis- sort of, uh, a little bit um, inelegant description is that that's not a criticism. It's just that like, uh, I feel like there's a prophetic voice, if I can put it that way in, in the way that you put your ideas out there and that it is some people's primary role, whether they know it or not to put their hand up and be like, yeah, but have y'all thought about this? And sometimes some like the scriptures are a good example of this. Like some of, some of Ezekiel and Jeremiah is pretty caustic and pretty, darn weird i mean yes. like a lot of ezekiel he's doing divine performance art basically and it's yep. people are reacting to it really strongly yeah i agree you know not to be like well i just want to be like jesus but i actually <laughs> have been especially over you know the last um you know the the mid-adult range of my life more inspired by in the beginning it was a more of a naive and a personality thing i just am this way by default so i made this thing by default and um, I was into punk rock, punk rock is confrontational by nature. And, but the more that I hopefully matured and matured as a, you know, a, a Christian, I would find in Jesus really, uh, shocking confrontational, mm. um, creativity that often refuses to explain itself you know, in, where he <laughs> yeah. will tell stories and then people will say, well, well, what does that mean? That's so offensive. And you had to know that that was offensive to us personally. Why would you say something like that? Explain yourself. And he'll say, no, if you get it, you get it. You know? Yeah. yeah. He who and has off, ears. Yeah. And people in his inner circle would come to him and be like, well, at least tell us what you mean. He'll be like, well, I'll tell you guys, but you need to understand not everyone's going to get this. And that's the point. It's yeah. not for everyone. And, and it's for the people who are willing to listen. And he would say these things that we romanticize after the fact, you know, the easy example of whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood. And we're like, oh man, what a beautiful uh, symbology for the, you know, the, the sacrament of communion. But he must have sounded like an, and lunatic at the time. <laughs> yeah. And it seems obvious to me that he did that. Not, not just, he did that on purpose in the sense that he knew what he was saying. Obviously he knew what he was saying, but he did it on the purpose to be, at least in one sense, offensive, because he immediately turns around to his close followers and says, does this offend you? As if he knew, like, I get that they're upset. Are you upset too? Or mm-hmm. can you hang on? Are you going to stick with this? So I think that, you know, I've had these two different, uh, I career is a weird word, but vocations. And one of them is as an artist, and one of them is as a pastor and teacher of Bible and theology. When I first started the latter learning to teach Bible and theology. I think that I approach them as um, less creative. I would think, mm. oh, okay, well, you can be really confrontational in art and you can say crazy stuff in a punk rock song, but you know, you, you really need to be more responsible in teaching the Bible. And that's true. You do need to be responsible as a teacher of the scriptures. But what I've learned after doing this for, you know, the last seven or eight years is that 
Um, I think that we have, as teachers of the Bible, people in my vocation have more permission to be confrontational than they realize. And of course, taken to a certain extent, confrontational or being confrontational without accountability um, just mm. leads to jerks. It leads to yeah. the the people on the internet who are the doctrine police who think that everyone in the world is a heretic except them and the people <laughs> who agree with them. Yeah. And it leads right. to like tyrants who, you know, refuse to be corrected and, or challenged in any way. So, you know, I've, I've set up layers of accountability around myself, both in my vocation as a teacher and now as an artist. So I, I don't, I don't think it's a permission slip to just say whatever the heck you want all the time. You need people speaking into the process and being like, well, is this important and prophetic or are you being a jerk? Yeah. Um, so there, and, there's two, um, there's, there's two kind of thoughts that come to my mind. One is that Ryan and I have talked, I don't think we talked on the, on the podcast about this, but that like, um, I, I just think so much of what's out there, it's devoid of a relational context. And so it's not mm-hmm. constructive a lot of the time. And of course, there's a ditch on both sides of that road. But like so much of the discussion that happens online is basically where so much is right now. And people shouting at each other. It's somebody you're never going to meet. It's some somebody that mm-hmm. even pastors and teachers that you listen to, if if you don't have a relational connection you really should be quite be careful and responsible about how much of that you take in. And, and also that I remember, um, the first, like, uh, one of the things I said about Jesus was that he taught with authority, not as their teachers did. And we've never heard anybody talk like this guy. And I remember the first time I heard John Mark Comer of Bridgetown church, one of his teachings, it, it was like that, but something that amazed me about that, that crew of people of which you are a part in some way is that I remember very clearly one one teaching he was doing. I don't remember what it was about, but very gently he said, if you're doing this, you're living in sin and you need to repent. And I, I'd never heard anybody be so firm and so authoritative and yet so gentle and compassionate at the same time. And it, it helped me build a shelf for, well, no, good, good teaching can confront and convict, but it, but it also has to, it has to be done in love. Yeah, I agree. It, the... The challenge is finding the, the, it's not even necessarily a balance. It's finding the symbiotic relationship between confrontation and compassion. Mm. I think that early on in my, you know, vocation as an artist, it was interesting to me to be confrontational, but it was likely often coming from a place of, frustration or a sense of personal, you know, like I've been wrong. So I want to write a song about or something, Mm -hmm. you know, to that extent, or I want to write something to critique this thing that I observe in the world. And that's not always bad. I think that, Mm -hmm. you know, art and creativity are good places to process those feelings and to be honest and vulnerable. Um, but when you write a book like Death to Deconstruction, which is obviously meant to be read by people processing the phenomenon of deconstruction, it's not just for me to be expressive. You know, it's it's meant to be um, to provide a, a, a view, you know, a point of view yeah. to other people. And, and it's offering that point of view, like, would you take this one in, instead of yours, which in a sense is what any kind of, you know, Christian nonfiction is doing. It's like, hey, you want to add this? to the list of things that you believe, or can this, this have a shelf as you put it, Taylor, in your worldview. So I think, you know, I've learned over time that 
you can't really uh, fabricate a symbiotic relationship between compassion and confrontation. Meaning, if you feel really been out of shape and you want to yell and scream about some phenomenon, you can do that. And maybe you'll even be right. But if you don't have compassion, if compassion is not the reason that you're upset, that there's no faking it. There's no fabricating mm-hmm. that compassion. You'll just be the guy railing on the thing. Um, but if you do feel, and I think this only happens as we you know, progress in spiritual formation and are learning to mature, not to say that, oh, you have to be a master apprentice of Jesus just to be able to speak prophetically about a thing. Not at all. There, You could be first year Christian and be deeply prophetic in a compassionate way, but it does come from, you know, uh, some dimension of spiritual formation to be able to say, the reason I'm so frustrated is because I think that this is wrong. I think that the, the thing that's right is better for Mm -hmm. people, for creation, you know, for, um, the animal kingdom, the environment. These are the reasons that I care about, you know, uh, I don't know, recycling or something like that. Not just because it makes me so mad that people don't recycle, but because I think that there's something that would be better for all people and for, you know, the human family and all that kind, like that, literally that broad. And then on a pastoral level, like you can get up on stage and say, like you pointed out, Taylor, that someone can say that if you're, if you're doing this, you're in sin and you need to repent. And it can be feel authoritative and convicting, and I think it, it could even do some good because, you know, God is so gracious. He'll use stuff that people say even if they're a whack job. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I had a professor once that was like, the story he used to tell is that he went to a Christmas Eve service at some mega, local mega church, and he was so disgusted. This is like the head of the theology department at our, you know, grad school. <laughs> And he's watching like, you know, camels and llamas walk around as like angels are on cords coming down from the ceiling and everything. And he was like, oh, my God, look at this waste of money. He's critiquing and judging everything that's happening around him. And at the end, they're like, now who wants to get saved? You know, and people are putting their hands in the air and he's rolling his eyes. Oh, my no one's coming to faith at this stupid thing. And then years go by and he's in, you know, like teaching a class with another uh, professor that he's just met. And he's asking him his story. And this is a young professor. He's like, oh, I actually just came to faith, you know, six or seven years ago and immediately went into school to learn the Bible. Oh, where'd you come to faith? And it was at that Christmas Eve gathering. He's <laughs> one of the people that put his hand in the air. And the my professor was like, oh, my God. You know, he and the way he summarized the whole point was like, man, God is is willing to work even in bad theology. You know, <laughs> like he'll he'll show up and do stuff. Because he's that gracious and he's that nice and he's that accommodating. It doesn't give us an excuse to be lazy or, you know, have donkeys walking around in the gathering (laughs) or something like that. Yeah. But even though my point is like, you can say that stuff and not be compassionate and God can and will even, you know, manage to show up and do good things in spite of you. But I think it's so much more effective when it comes from a, a genuine place of like, look, like I actually care. And I am mad. I, I do think that this needs to change, but not just because I'm, you know, a, a faceless digital voice being like, oh, I'm ticked out, you know, outrage culture. Yeah. And this is wrong. And this is wrong. And I can prove how much I know by virtue signaling and showing like I found this wrong thing and this wrong thing. But when it comes from, you know, almost like a competent parent who's like, I don't want you to go in the road because you will die. So, yeah. yes, I get upset that you would do something that puts you in danger and you need to understand that this needs to change. 
that is powerful and effective. And that yeah. has been the kind of like gracious teaching that's shaped and changed me. Um, so I think that that's became what I'm trying to do or what I have tried to do in the book. In the beginning, I was going to, you know, create this really sophisticated intellectual takedown on the deconstructionist, what I think is kind of a mob mentality or a herd mentality. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, it's going to be so fun and sarcastic and funny. And, and the, you know, spoiler alert, the book is sarcastic and funny, <laughs> or, or at least it's trying to be. You might not find yeah. it funny. It's trying to be sarcastic. <laughs> I suspect and funny. I will. <laughs> You'll have to tell me afterward. Okay, like but um, I sat down to write that out and realized that if I'm coming at this from an intellectual angle, that book already exists and it's, it's better than mine. I can already, if someone were to ask like, Oh, what, what do you recommend for? Like I have these intellectual issues with the Bible or I'm, you know, I kind of processing, I'm in the deconstruction phase. I already have, you know, Oh, read this, read this, read this. Um, there's this excellent book. I, I've talked about it maybe more than my own book by uh, A.J. Swoboda, who's a, a professor oh, he's in Portland. Great. Yeah. Yeah. He has a book called After Doubt that is a, a book by a professor about deconstruction. And it is pastoral and personal and readable. It's already, you know, like that book exists. Mm-hmm. Um, I realized what I had to offer, what I think I have to contribute to the conversation is I have all the same reasons you know, uh, different genres of them, but I have the same reasons as all of my peers that have deconstructed and bailed out on Jesus to have done the same thing. And I haven't done that. And I realized over, you know, like dozens of pastoral conversations, having coffee with people who are, are on the precipice of bailing out or have to some degree stepped out of the historic Christian tradition. And once we start trading stories, they're like, oh, you too? Then what made you, you know, just the other day mm. I got an email from someone who was like, how in the world can you, with your story and what you know, how can you still go along with this? So a lot of the book just became like, this is my story. And this is, you know, like from where I sit, this is my prophetic critique of deconstruction and, and why I don't think it's a tenable um, way forward people who have come from Christianity and want to bail out. You know, in, in the opening of the book, I admit like, look, there are reasons that people bail on Christianity and they say, I can't do it anymore for A, B, and C. And I go, yeah, that makes sense. If you, if that's what you think, then it makes sense that you would not be a Christian. Um, but there are other, what I think are less tenable views that people mm. come and, and they tend to populate 99% of the deconstruction conversation that, well, I have this issue and I'm like, okay, well, that's not, you know, like uh, yeah. biblical illiteracy, for example, you know, we, we had a series of episodes. We did three of them called, um, entrench, deconstruct and disengage kind of describing that when the questions come up, whatever they are, the, those people tend to respond one of those three ways that either they, circle around a core of doctrine and they don't let anything else in or anyone else in, or they, you know, they, they take the house down completely and don't build anything in its place. Or they say to heck with this. I'm just like, I'm going to be a nun. I'm going to be nothing at all basically. And so it's, which is different than deconstruction because that's like an intellectual response exercise. Whereas some folks are just like, you know what? I just, I just give up completely. I'm not going to think about this anymore. And um, we also made a distinction in our deconstruct conversation between deconstructing 
your faith and deconstructing your religion. And I think what you just said about where 99 or however many percent of people fall is, is it's that latter thing is there's something about the Christian religion or a point of doctrine that is tripping them up. Not necessarily, I can't believe in God anymore. Yes. And you know, often the deconstruction, um, heard or the, the fad, it, it has this, you know, weirdly quasi, or I shouldn't even say quasi pseudo, um, high view of Jesus, which is actually, mm. you know, historically a low view of Jesus. They want Jesus. They, you know, like, Oh, well, I'm, we're taking Jesus with us. He's going to be one of us now. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and you know, like we're going to compliment the teachings of Jesus that we like, not the ones that we don't like, but we'll keep the ones that we like and we'll compliment them with like, Oh, this teaching from Buddhism and this teaching mm-hmm. from Eastern spirituality. And this thing I heard on a podcast, this thing I heard on a YouTube video, and, uh, and yeah, yeah, Jesus, we like Jesus. We've got the real one. You guys have got the fake one, you know, that whole thing. And you end up with like a cobbled together Frankenstein's monster of your own <laughs> spiritual design. Yeah. Uh, which to me personally is a, why, why bother? You know, I, I've had this actual conversation and, um, again, over coffee with people who come to me and they, they have these questions about the deconstruction conversation. And they're like, well, I like these things from Jesus, but I don't like these things. And I just can't, you know, I can't bring myself to get on board with these other things. And I have felt a freedom in some of these conversations. And again, these are, you know, with people with whom I have relational equity and, that, mm-hmm. you know, and I'll say like, it sounds like you don't want to follow Jesus. A lot of people mm-hmm. don't, you know, that's, that's pretty <laughs> <Yeah>. ordinary. <laughs> um, in fact, most people don't want to follow Jesus. It sounds like you're one of them, Have, you know, like because there's this extreme cognitive dissonance where they're like, no, no, and I like Jesus. I do want to follow Jesus. I just don't want to do the stuff that he said. And I'm like, OK, well, OK, well, <laughs> that, the, you know, that's a it's the prerequisite is that you have to you surrender your autonomy. And he put it even more starkly than that. You have to die. You have to actually mm. die to the stuff that you want, the this, this stuff to which you believe you are entitled and. That's not even the, once you get to level 10, the black belt of Christianity has to then surrender their will. That's the pre, before you even start, you have to do this. And it sounds like you don't want to do it, you know? Yeah. And uh, if, you, if you don't, then you need to make your peace with and have integrity with the like, I don't believe the things that Jesus said are, are true. And yeah. I have to, I have to, and, and you know, then it becomes like gymnastics with, well, you know, maybe the Bible's wrong. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, that's where we get Jesus teaching. So yeah. What are you, you um, going to do with that? <laughs> you put out a, a post on Instagram and, and listening to it, like it, it really made me want the book right now and I'm, I'm excited to read it. But, but you mentioned that, you know, a lot of us have been handed a God that was more shaped by, you, you mentioned Christian nationalism and, and all these other potential things than what, what God actually is. And just hearing that and hearing that kind of the back and forth of, of those things was man, very just eye-opening and thought-provoking just to understand that a lot of people, what they look at Jesus as isn't even even real. Like it's based on all these other factors that have influenced it. Yeah, and I think, you know, what you guys, Ryan, what you guys were talking about in your series that you did where yeah. um, there's the deconstruction of religion as the way you put it right, and, the, and then there's the deconstruction of uh, actual sincere faith in Jesus, and these are two distinct things. And that's what, you know, I'm talking about in that monologue is that we we've been handed ideas that are not either not true at all or Mm -hmm. they have shades of the truth but they've been corrupted by something or someone and 
the immediate pushback I got from the public when even when I announced the book was, you know, people saying, but deconstruction's good and we have to deconstruct and deconstruction is necessary. Oh, it saved my life, that kind of thing. I think that deconstruction is just one of those words that has been forfeited to the group that means by deconstruction. We've torn down our faith in Jesus and Christianity, mm-hmm. and we've we have something else now. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, in the pop culture spirituality conversation, that's what that means. I think it's just it it makes more sense at this point to just prefer different terms. When when people talk about quote unquote good deconstruction, what they usually mean is just maturing. <laughs> they mean tr- <laughs> yeah. transforming their faiths over time. All of us. It's not unique to your special story of how you were heard in church. All of us that have been brought up in um, faith, you know, in in Christianity, in in America in particular, have uh, what, you know, some would call religious trauma, or Mm -hmm. we we heard something that wasn't true at some point, or maybe it was really imposed on us in a hurtful, traumatic way. That's not unique to one, you know, like I have a really bad story of how I was raised in the Southern Baptist tradition, fundamentalism and conservatism, and saw, you know, like ubiquitous racism, nationalism, and didn't just observe it. Like, you know, I experienced the way that these, um, I would go as far as to say like satanic things, um, can be hurtful and really break down your willingness to believe and to participate in something when you think this is it. Like, I don't want to be a part of this. Right. Um, but that's not unique to me. My particular story might be unique because I'm the only one who lived it. But all of us have heard something that's not true or been taught to believe something that's not true. We've been given um, a God who was imperfect because it was communicated to us through imperfect people. Mm-hmm. So all of us have the responsibility, if we decide that we want to grow and mature and transform faith, to, you know, the the analogy I use in the book is to renovate the house of our faith Mm, you know of our discipleship so we eventually learn like oh my this thing here is not good it's like we need to get this out of the house or this thing here is it was good for a season but now we know something that's more true so we have to replace it with this other thing that looks a little similar but um deconstruction is not like that it's haphazard and clumsy i think personally it's you know inelegant and it it uses a sledgehammer rather than a, a hmm. it's mm-hmm. a, it's a demolition project yep. to tear the yep. whole thing down. And if we do build something else, it's not going to be the house at all. It's going to be something else entirely. So I think it's just helpful to, to approach them with different terminologies at this point. Yeah. But every one of us has to transform. Every one of us has to mature. That's just what, you know, thinkers throughout the Christian tradition for hundreds of years have called spiritual formation. It's mm-hmm. something that happens to all what? of us. It's, and we have um, a roadmap for it in the scriptures in the sense that yeah. like, and this was something that was so helpful to me. I, it, I'm going to, uh, I remember to, to set this up, Michael Gunger on Twitter once asked, what, uh, what helped you get over your biblical idolatry? And we know what he meant by that question, <laughs> probably. But uh, yeah, Evan believing Wickham. in the Bible? Yes. Believing in the Bible is what he meant. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's what he meant. Uh, Evan Wickham, who you know, Josh responded with, uh, biblical literacy is what helped me get over biblical (laughs) idolatry. And so seeing like Exodus, for example, this unfolding narrative of God repeatedly inviting these people to commune with him, then messing it up 
and him accommodating all along the way. Like they, hey, y'all come up on the mountain. Well, they're afraid, so they don't go. So he gives them a priesthood. Y'all, uh, here are some basic guidelines. Well, they don't follow those. So now we got to have all these other laws and just this kind of almost circular or, or ping pong thing where God lays out the mat, the doormat at every at every stage and the people don't take it. And so the relationship evolves. And at the end, you have the Torah and you have the temple system and then you have all, all these expectations and then you have the prophets to interpret it. And then at some point, God's like, okay, but we're going to do this Jesus thing now. And at every stage, they're having to they're having to renovate. That's a good word that you use. They're having to renegate their renovate their understanding of what God really wants from them. And it was, I mean, Jesus is a great example of that. In uh, we we interviewed um, Jason Truby. Jesus? Who, no. <laughs> if only <laughs> we we interviewed uh, Jason Truby, formerly of POD POD and Living Sacrifice, last week, and. Um, he he we we were talking a little bit about Jesus as a as a performance artist that he at times Can you tell me if if Jason is he's a Christian? Yeah. He is. Yeah. Oh, oh man, that's so great to hear. <laughs> is there a story? Not, not there? because I had any suspicions about him. I don't know him or anything about him. Anytime I hear about people in the Christian music industry that oh, at I one see. time played in Christian bands, I just assume by default, well, they're not anymore. Which is um, part of where this book came from. Yeah, yeah. 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 Most of them aren't, are they? Yeah. yeah. No, they're not, which, you know, this is this was years ago now, so it's gotten even worse since then. But literally, oh, I don't know, 15 years ago or 10 years ago, <laughs> I asked um, Reese Roper of Five Iron Frenzy, hmm. um, do you know anyone... From your days of touring and playing, because, you know, he's like a generation of touring before me. Yeah. And do you know anyone from those days, the bands that I grew up listening to, that they're they're still Christian? They still, and not in a, you know, like in an actual, they have integrity and they follow Jesus. And he like had to squip and look at the ceiling for a minute. He's like, ah, switch foot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, they still are. That was so well, depressing and yeah. uh, in one sense encouraging way to go switch foot. But yeah. so anyway, I just wanted to know if the dude from Living Sacrifice, <laughs> yeah, and no, people, it was, I love Living Sacrifice. Uh, that's good to hear. Yeah, no, he, he, it was a great conversation. He yeah, was very yeah. insightful and grounded. And Does he continue uh, to play in uh, the reunited Living Sacrifice from time to time or is he do, I, do other I stuff th- now? I think he shows up now and again, but he's not necessarily a part of what going, oh, that's is cool. going on. Sorry, he does I kinda, turned this into an interview with you guys about okay. Jason <laughs> from Living Sacrifice. Thanks, Jason. <laughs> We're Sorry, part. Now go back to it. Okay. Thank you. You've, you've blessed me today, Jason. I'm happy to hear that. And I'm going to continue to listen to your work. So are we. Cause, continue cause my work. Day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but th- there were times when Jesus, very aware of where he was and who he was talking to, would would pick pieces of the Torah and, and just not weaponize them, but he, he would put a show on for mm-hmm. the people that were there. Uh, um. The when he talks about, I'm going to get this wrong, so maybe Josh can correct me. When he talks about being living water, he's standing right next to where they poured the drink offerings, and did the I forget which which feast it was for, but where they did the profession the processional up to the Temple Mount, and then at the end of it mm-hmm. they would they would pour the drink offerings out, and he's like, hey, by the way, I'm living water, and nobody there would miss the connection that he was that he was trying to make or when he used the first person name of god before a- abraham was born i am that's 
the, those are really confrontational, uh, like staged events that he took the opportunity to get people's attention with. And, and just that he, he was calling them to deconstruct their understanding of God and what was important to God. And he did this with the, the teachers of the law all the time. He's like, you have heard this. I tell you this. You, value, you, know, you give a tenth of all your spices, but you've neglected taking care of people who need it. You've neglected love. And, and it's, we have such a roadmap for that, really, yeah. to, to, to the point that you're trying to make. Yeah, and, and Taylor, those are great examples because, you know, to the point of, that we've been getting at, Jesus is consistently inviting his audience, even the audience, the, you know, constituents of his audience that are, he's most critical of into a deeper understanding of the God they already follow. He's inviting Mm -hmm. them to transform their faith within the the tradition to which they already belong. So he's not, Mm -hmm. you know, and he goes to great lengths to say, listen, I, I'm not throwing out the scriptures. That's not what I've come to do. I'm not interested in it. No one can throw out the scriptures. Um, but I am going to call you into a better, deeper understanding of what the scriptures were intended to teach in the first place. And then go back to what you said earlier, Taylor, about like the story throughout the Torah, the the narrative of the Torah of, you know, there's this great internet paraphrase. I'm going to get it wrong, but the, of someone on Reddit posted a summary of the Bible, which was actually quite brilliant where they're like, it's essentially like God will say, okay, look, here we go. Just don't do the things. And then people are like, we did the things. And he's like, oh, guys. And he's like, okay, fine. I'll do this. I'll fix it. But just just don't do the things. And they're like, got it. So you won't do the things? We won't do the things. We did the things. And God's like, oh, guys. You know? um, so because you have these dimensions of failure in the human project, uh, there is this compassionate willingness of, of God to come into those failures and work alongside and, you know, the, mm-hmm. the way a parent patiently works with a child and their failure. So Jesus is not, <coughs> he's not interested in um, deconstructing the scriptures. In fact, one of the words that he uses in Matthew's gospel when he says, listen, I did not come to abolish but to fulfill is a word that can be translated deconstruct. I have, hmm. I did not come to dismantle these things. I'm I'm still pointing to the same truth that was here in the beginning. And then, you know, he does the classic you've heard, but I tell you, and the you've heard is not something he's throwing out. He's just saying that, like, look, the idea that you shouldn't murder other people, of course that's true. I'm not throwing out the commandment not to murder. But what God is actually after is the kind of like peace loving um, graciousness for enemies that that won't even get angry, that won't even harbor anger. It's not enough just to not kill the person, you know, so mm-hmm. he's drawing them back to the truth that compelled the you have heard to say like, but I tell you, look, here's the thing behind the even greater truth behind the thing. That's all transformation that ha- he's not saying like, look, forget the whole thing. It's just it was wrong. You were told this thing, it's corrupted by the patriarchy and, you know, it's just not true. And so what you really should do is this thing that's kind of the opposite of that. It's still all within the same house of faith. And he has the graciousness to come to the people who are corrupting, not only corrupting the the scriptures the most, but who are leading others into the corruption of the scriptures and call them to repentance. Of course, he Mm -hmm. does it the most confrontationally. But it's still the call to, he's like, look, stop it. Come here with me and believe the true thing. 
which is why I think it's appropriate to come at the deconstruction conversation. And I come at it, um, I come to the conversation as a participant. You know, I didn't even really think that much about the fact that my story has this uh, thread of deconstruction in it and, and what I've been through as a disciple of Jesus. And then I sent out the advanced book to like some people to get uh, endorsements is the thing you do in the publishing industry. Like, Hey, you know, you're this guy that I read. Will you please say that this book's not crazy? And <laughs> hopefully they read it and they say like, Oh, good book. And then you can put that on the cover of your book. Yeah. But um, almost everyone that sent something back that endorsed the book, they say something about the fact that um, look, he, he did it and he's here. Mm, yeah. So he has he has the collateral to actually comment mm, on the thing. Or yeah. he has, you know, like he's he's coming at it as somebody who has walked the terrain before. So he can say, I I went there, here's what I did. Um so I, I'm not like, you know, this detached, I've never had any issues with the Bible and everyone needs to repent and you know, I've never felt like conflicted about the Christian faith. And so everyone needs to follow my shining example of doubtless, you know, mastery. But I am someone who has all those same roadblocks and forks in the road and, you know, going off road and all that kind of uh, stuff. So I feel it's appropriate to step into the conversation from someone who's been in that place and has gone before Mm -hmm. and say, this is this is not true. This doesn't make any sense at all. And if you have some integrity, if you want to say this is what you think, then go go the full distance with it. You think this Um, and then to call people to. But if you want the authentic Jesus, if you want to belong to the the historic, you know, apostolic tradition of Christianity, it will mean these things. And maybe you don't want to hear that. Maybe you do, but this is what it means. Uh, I think I say in the, in the beginning of the book, that's like, I'm actually not trying to convince anyone. Why would I, you, you know, your mind is probably made up. I, I want to tell you what I think. If you want to go these 200 pages with me, you can tell me what you think afterward, you know? So, um, it's we all tr- we all have to transform faith. Deconstruction is not transformation. It's a takedown. Mm-hmm. You know, it's stripping faith for parts. In case you weren't able to tell, we really enjoy talking to Josh. So much so that we could not fit the whole conversation into one episode. We dig a whole lot deeper into the book and into other things related to his career and the art that he's made and all sorts of other stuff. And so that is coming in part two. In the meantime, enjoy part one. We've got a couple more episodes coming to finish out the year. Hopefully that's the plan. And we're going to be putting our heads together to see what we want to do in 2023. As always, you can follow us at Unbetween Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, and then at Unbetween Pod on Twitter. And feel free to shoot us an email, unbetweenpodcast at gmail.com. It's so encouraging to hear your feedback about stuff we could do differently or how these conversations are impacting you. That really makes it worth it. All worth it. So thank you for listening. <laughs>